Binge Mode is presented by Bud Light. Bud Light and HBO partnered for the Super Bowl to marry the medieval worlds. Bud Light and HBO recreated one of the most epic scenes in Game of Thrones show history. I dilly dilly did not see the ending of that Super Bowl spot coming. Being killed by the mountain? Pretty cool way to die. Wonderful see Game of Thrones back in the dilly dilly, dilly universe dilly. again. Enjoy responsibly. 21 and up. Before we get into the show, we want to ask you for a quick favor. In order to support our show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find some great advertisers, we'll need to learn a little bit more about you. So please, go to podsurvey.com slash GOT and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Once you've completed the survey, you can choose to enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash GOT. Thanks for your help. Warning. Binge mode contains Chris Ryan, (coughs) excuse me, contains adult content. Oh! Damn right it does. You knew that, though. So listen, if adult content is not your jam, check out one of the other fine podcasts from the Ringer Podcast Network. But if it is, continue forward on your journey to Game of Thrones Season 8. As Ian McShane says, tits and dragons. Breasts and fire-breathing creatures. Let's be scientific about it. (laughs) Mammaries and legendary creatures. (laughs) We're back. One more warning. Mm-hmm. Binge mode contains spoilers. That's right. And in this case, speculation. If you don't yet know why we're debating the relative acceptability of incestual relations, please proceed with extreme caution. And now, binge mode. And talk the thrones. They're coming. Our enemy doesn't tire. Doesn't stop. Doesn't feel. No! Yeah! And welcome. Yeah! <laughs> To binge mode, Game of Thrones. Woo! (laughs) Is it a deplorable podcast? Deplorable podcast. Awful. Bad breath. (laughs) Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. A memorable podcast network. (laughs) I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. Oh, what a great website. (laughs) It's great. Joining me today, now that he's finished searching the crypts of Winterfell for the great other. Didn't find that. Give it time. It's Ringer, Senior, Creative, and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Mal, I'm looking for a dragon too. And I've been looking for binge mode Game of Thrones where in 2017 we dove deep. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god! <laughs> Iconic! Into all 67 episodes of Game of Thrones to date, whether or not you sailed the narrow sea of content with us back then, we're glad you're here now. We hope that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Mm. If binge mode could make the eight, good Lord, we've tried. (laughs) (laughs) We'd let it. But for now, five stars for binge mode will suffice. Give us those stars. Give it to us. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans, and which is an excellent place to debate your favorite Thrones theories ahead of season eight. Also follow us to theringer.com slash shop. Check out the Binge Mode merch. Super comfy under your armor. Mm. Mm. Last time on Binge Mode, we concluded our magical Harry Potter journey. Please check that out if you haven't. Certainly enough content there to get you through the long night. We miss it. We miss Harry. Today, we are slowly, ever so slowly, starting to beat those battle drums ahead of the Game of Thrones Season 8 premiere on April 14th. Last weekend, we had the pleasure of holding a Talk the Thrones live event in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest, where alongside our Talk the Thrones co-host, Christopher Ryan, first of his name, we explored the journey of Game of Thrones fandom, our fiercest wishes ahead of season eight for season eight, and so much more. Due to popular demand, we're sharing the audio from that live show with you all today. As a reminder, the Talk the Thrones crew will be with you live every Sunday night exclusively on Twitter, processing each Thrones episode with you in real time. Hopefully, this serves as a nice appetite wetter ahead of the 77 course feast that will be season eight of Game of Thrones. And of course, we will be with you every step of the way on Binge Mode Game of Thrones. Join us every week from here until the April 14th premiere as we mount the dragon of content. Mm. Preview the upcoming season, luxuriating in the icy, fiery bliss of this story. Yes for as long as we can. Speaking of which, be sure to head to the Binge Mode social feeds and the Ringer's YouTube channel to check out our frame-by-frame season eight trailer breakdown and our new explainer video series, which we're excited about. The first one is up now. It's on the long night. We hope that you are also enjoying our daily Binge Mode Game of Thrones re-listen, and we truly cannot wait, cannot wait to explore season eight of this story with you all. So snuggle up to your direwolf. Protect ghost. Pour yourself a glass of Arbor Gold and welcome Chris Golden compass Ryan to the binge mode feed because it's time for Talk the Thrones Live from South by Southwest. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming to Talk the Thrones Live here at South by Southwest. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm Mallory Rubin. Hello. Jason Concepcion. Yeah. Uh, Wow. We are finally here at the end of Game of Thrones. Ooh. And at the end of our quasi, uh, like, Thronesian journey through discussing this show for the last, like, five years? Has it been? Four years? You're making it sound like we all have, like, a terminal illness or something. No, I, I like to that. think this story will live with us forever. But it, it does make me sentimental because, like, Mal, Jason, and I have, in some capacity or another, from Grantland to The Ringer, been talking about Game of Thrones on podcasts and on video and on, on short-lived cable uh, shows. We had Watch the Thrones. We had After the Thrones. We make had sure Talk we get these... the Thrones. We'll have Discuss the Thrones, Contemplate <laughs> the Thrones. Yeah. Remember the Thrones. Um, I guess... 
as we head into these last, so what we're going to do today, rather than do like, I mean, not to disappoint anybody, but rather than do like hardcore theories about like how this is going to end, uh, which we will be doing plenty of. The great other is coming out of the crypts. <laughs> yes. Um, we were going to try and, and just talk a little bit about what it's been like to be a part of this for the last few years. And I wanted to sort of ask you guys to start with, I remember when we started talking about this at Grantland, it was obviously the, the show was sort of in full flight and like it had become a cultural phenomenon and everybody was talking about it. When do you feel like in Game of Thrones, the show sort of made that turn around the bend to its ending now? Like it went from going outwards to like, now we're gonna, now we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, when Danny came back, when Danny came back to Westeros. I think that was when it was like, oh, this is really happening. We could, we're not going to go back to Essos probably anymore because why? I go back Dario. in my heart to visit Dario regularly. Right. <laughs> just governing, <laughs> just being a governor. Well, governing something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that entire episode, Winds of Winter, the season six finale, because you had Danny heading west, finally, of course, the John parentage reveal, at least half of it, which is, I think, for us and for many fans of the story, the central propulsive mystery of the entire tale. And Cersei eliminated half the cast in about an instant. Yeah, that was, so that, that was, was certainly a pivot point from expanding to shrinking. You know, everybody moving toward the same uh, physical geography and also the storylines compressing on each other so that we yeah. were going to finally see people who had been separated since the second episode of the season or had never been together in the first place finally brought together. Yeah, and then I think that one thing that I've always really admired about working with you guys, just playing up my questions, sorry. <laughs> he had to write down in advance that he admired working right. with us. He had to, just, I to was like, just so he wouldn't forget to say that. Remember, remember to, it, to say that no. I admire. <laughs> no, it's like you guys, these are, these, I have never ceased to be amazed by the level of not only like intellectual understanding that these guys have of the story, but the empathy that they have with the emotional contents of the story, which is just always so inspiring in a way of talking about it. It's been, it's been such a thrill, but I was kind of wondering, depending on your different relationships with the show from reading the books or maybe starting the show in the beginning, I, I have a different answer for this as well, but when did you start like thinking, I'm not just a fan of this, I actually have something oh, to say about this? Jason, I mean, like you, this is one of the earliest things I guess we worked on aside yeah. from really pleading Nick's blogs <laughs> early on. Well, I, you know, I entered into this endeavor with like not a small amount of trepidation because there's just a lot of people that know a lot about this world, you know, so to try and, to try and explain the things that uh, are going on, the historical context, the, the deep, deep, deep lore that George has created for an audience uh, that's primarily based on the show is was really daunting. It was really, uh, and it was really exciting. Also, like I, I remember just thinking I wanted to do it in a way that didn't, that wasn't like how brutal it can be on the forums, which is just like, yeah. oh, you got this fact wrong, get out of here and never come back. Like you are garbage. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to try and do it in a way where you could just ask the dumbest, most simplest question that you know seems very simple to people who understand the world and and to try and lay it out in a way that um, was compelling and really uh, valued what George has created, which is like this world that goes with a deep history that goes back thousands of years. Um, so I think, you know, just being able to do that at Grandland and then The Ringer is really when I was like, oh, this is, I have, there, I have a niche in this ecosphere. Right. Mal, what about you? <sighs> Christopher, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, 
You know, not to, I don't know what the over-under on like when I'd cry was, but now. it's the three-minute mark. <laughs> you want to try now? Cash in. Um, you know, I, when, I think, when I think about that, it's like I realize what a seismic role the story has played in my life because the moment when I first started covering it was actually when I was still at Sports Illustrated. Uh, you know, I consumed season one as a fan. That was when I became really like obsessed with the world, dove fully in, read the books over and over and over again found myself on message boards and trying to soak up as much as I could. And heading into season two, on the side, two of my colleagues at SI, we started like a secret TV blog. And we would just do power rankings after every episode just for fun and like set deadlines for ourselves and everything. And so that was when I, when I knew that this was something that I wanted to up. do. I hope it is not. still up. It is still <laughs> up because I went there like a year ago. Terrifying to hear. I hope we have a, a agreement here that no one will seek it out. Yeah, everybody signed an NDA when they walked in, not to Google you. But when the Grantland opportunity surfaced, that was a huge part of it. It was like, wow, this is somewhere where I could actually, I could talk about Game of Thrones. I could talk about Harry Potter. I could talk about the things that I love. And, you know, when we think about The Ringer and what we all get to build together every day, that idea of passion and obsession is such a central pillar to what we're trying to do and what we're trying to allow other people to celebrate. And Game of Thrones was the beginning of that for me, both personally and professionally. And so it's just very special. I'm very grateful. What about you? What about me? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, like, I think that I can't remember whether this lines up accurately or not because it's been on for long enough that I think that there is some like I, there's yeah. some misremembering going on. But I do remember. Uh, I think that Red Wedding is one of like the singular pop culture pop cultural feelings I'll ever have. You know, I I was also a time. And, you know, when Andy was doing the show with us, and, and he'll probably appear at some point this year and talk to Thrones, but he's obviously working on his own show. But I remember when Andy and I were talking about this show a lot uh, back, back in the day, uh, we were always really, like, in awe of those moments where it felt like people were experiencing something collectively. And Red Wedding was not only something that I was experiencing collectively, because, like, often we would have group watching parties at my apartment uh, to everybody would get together, and I think it, that was like when it was like Game of Thrones and Girls was on. Maybe yeah. it was like that was like the run that was on. I was like, it was such a great Sunday night because it was like this insane fantasy show, and then it would just be like Girls is on. Uh, and I remember that when Red Wedding happened, and I was, it just felt like something that had altered the sort of trajectory of television and changed what I thought, everything I thought about what you could really do on a show, that you could invest this much time with people and that you could think you knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And that that, and that that could get ripped away from you just like it gets ripped away for the characters in this show. That was such a cool moment because um, I, I don't think we really uh, talk about how like the book community really protected that secret in you guys a really were so like, nice about that in a <laughs> really like really valued not spoiling it for people wanted to see their friends who had no idea it was coming experience this true shock i mean that's not like a thing that really happened before like i think about like late harry potter remember that like viral video where the dude is driving by as people are lining up to get the book and he yeah. screams like Snape dies or whatever. Like that, like spoiling things was like, for spoiler last. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I actually haven't read Harry Potter, uh, so. But that's like, you know, spoiling things for, for laughs to be a troll was like something that happened and really didn't happen this time. Like the, the reveals were kept really secret by the, by the 
by the book readers. And I thought that was really special. I'm sure that there was like plenty of times also like during that, like lead up to that, I would like walk into the Grantland office and I was like, you know, I got to say, feeling pretty good about Rob Stark. Yeah. <laughs> I just you feel like that guy's put it all together. Five tool player. Something that we- He's got the well, looks, he's got you the did, charm. You we, did do that at one point. You we, did do that at the, <laughs> we had a meetup in, yes. uh, in well, Brooklyn. it was the live show. The live show. Watch the throne. Live show in Brooklyn, season five. Uh, it took place between the penultimate episode of season five and the finale of season five. And that was back in the day when, you know, a standard episode of, of Watch the Thrones, it was Chris and Andy. And I would come on for a few minutes with Chris and Jason LA, would come yeah. on for right. a few minutes with Andy in New York. And this was a time that, a rare time that we were all together. And Chris and Andy <laughs> had anointed John, the winner of season five. And it was this really impassioned speech right. about how John had finally figured it out. Jason and I are just standing on the side like, should we tell Chris right. and Andy <laughs> what is going to happen to John in the next episode? Yeah. But you don't want to, again, you don't want to take away the thrill of discovery. You know, <laughs> we're all on our own journey here. It. Yeah, that was a tough beat for me. Um, <laughs> that idea though of, subverting expectations yeah. and those moments that you think yeah. back on and the shock, you can still feel like your chest tighten right now sitting here when you think about the Red Wedding, whether it was reading it or seeing it or however you experienced it for the first time. And I'm curious what you guys think about that, which was such a unique thing about the story for so long when you think about the impending end. Because at what point is there nothing left to yeah. subvert? At what point does continuing to try to subvert expectations just lead people to be miserable? Like what kind of ending in terms of fan expectations and emotions, you know, joy, shock, what do we even want? What do we think we're going to get, but what do we even want? I mean, I think the other thing about that too is that there will be no 10th inning. You know, I mean, whatever gets subverted in these last six episodes is what we'll be left with to think about. And, and we'll obviously, we could get into this, but that's obviously so wild to think about in relationship to the books as well. You know, that these guys, that, the, that Benioff and Weiss will be sort of concluding this story for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are probably like, that's the end of Game of Thrones as far as I'm concerned, you know? And it, that might be it for that, I mean, yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, George might not finish the books. I like, by the way, that as soon as the Philly sign Bryce Harper, you're just saying 10th inning and yeah. talking in <laughs> baseball terms all of a sudden. It's America's pastime. I love baseball. I mean, that's okay. The subversion point is really interesting because so much of the the meat of the series is about those subversions. Just when you think Rob's, Rob's figured it out, he's going to put the Alliance back together. They're going to charge into the Westerlands. They're going to take Casterly Rock. They're going to really put the screws to Tywin Lannister. And then it's now everybody's dead. And like, what are we going to do now? Um, and those kind of moves just are not on the board anymore. You know, that now there has to be that pitched battle where the good guys win, you hope. Um, or else, do they? I mean, that's the thing. It's the, just the fact that we're sitting here going, like, is this going to end with the Night King like sitting on a throne of ice and everybody's dead? Um, is really wild. That, do you to think consider? that that's actually in play? What if Bran is the Night King? Right. Yeah. I know. This is the one that I'm like trying to wrap my head around still. But that's what happens. It's you try to wrap your head around it, and then you get stuck in someone else's head. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean I'm the Night King? You're a war. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the subversion thing was interesting for me because I think that initially that was maybe what drew me into the story, but I still have like a pretty old fashioned relationship to the, to this story in a lot of ways. Like that's, that's also driving a lot of what I kind of, the, the tension of what you want to have happen in Game of Thrones versus what right. kind of has to happen based on the way the story has been told. Mm -hmm. Do you guys feel that, that, that like that friction as well? 
Oh yeah, every day. I mean, I think of even just the contrast between how we talked in anticipation of the last couple seasons and how we all talk about this. Like, don't even know if we want to figure it out or try yeah. to figure it out because there's the element of this is it. This is the last time we're going to learn something for the first time about these characters in this world. But I think of someone like John as being very emblematic of that dissonance as a fan and as you know, someone who cares about the story and has spent a lot of time thinking about it. Like, I love John. I want John to be okay. Right. John being okay at the end doesn't really make sense based on the world that has been crafted and the character arcs that have been defined. Like, can you say why? I can try. Yeah, I mean, please, can you tell me why? Yeah. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. The idea that John doesn't feel worthy of this second chance at life. Like, the, this is not something he views as a gift. It's something he views as this terrible burden. And part of that is quintessential hero's journey, archetypal struggles. And part of it is, again, how a story like Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire has always attempted to subvert that traditional narrative. And... You know, when ahead of the Battle of the Bastards, John says, if I fall, don't bring me back. Like, he means that, right? Because he doesn't want to come back. He doesn't want to be there in the first place. He didn't want to try to take Winterfell back in the first place. In many ways, he's been a very defeated man and a very reluctant leader. The prospect of him having to make either a sacrifice or a terrible choice, where even if he is left at the end, the question of what he's left with really haunts him forever. That feels truer to me, to the world that has been crafted. That's not going to make me happy, but it will feel satisfying. Do you have a sentimental yeah. attachment to certain outcomes? Oh, for sure. I mean, John's arc, you know, when we were doing Binge, one of the things that really jumped out was just how, how much John regretted being resurrected. You know, like, the Battle of the Bastards is a great example because on on a very surface level, it's like, oh my God, look at the bravery. He's charging out ahead of the lines of his troops, pulling his sword, trying to take on the entire cavalry, Bolton cavalry on his own. On a, on a deeper level, it's like, that's, that's a suicide mission. Like he's trying to die. You don't, you don't do that and think, I'm going to come out of this. Totally, I'm, I'm going to survive this. Uh, he's like on a, on a very real level, like trying to die in the midst of the battle, going down to Dragonstone when every other Stark who's gone south has mm -hmm. died. Right, and Sansa is reminding him of that. And everybody's like, don't that Ned go. and Rob and yeah. Rickard made. I mean, that's, you know, he's, he's pushing it. He's, tr he's trying to, he's trying to die. I think a lot of the conversation between Beric and Jon, which is one of my favorite moments, not only in season seven, but really of the show. And it feels like the kind of moment that in, in prior seasons, an entire episode, or maybe even season would have built toward. And it was, you know, a few minutes. It was like a campfire discussion. Yeah, right. leading up to standing in the middle of a frozen lake until someone threw a rock. Fine. Um, that idea of that Beric said, you know, death is the enemy. And it's a very Harry Potter, Dumbledore idea. The, the, there's a lot of synchronicity there. You know, you just have to keep fighting. 
that's the purpose is just to keep trying because every time you try, you make it easier for somebody else to try too. That's really how John is programmed. He may be a king now, but he's really a soldier. And then you think back to Ned's line, to Varys in the dungeons in season one, you know, I was a soldier. I learned to die a long time ago. John has that, that part of Ned is in John, yeah. no matter who, no matter when or how John learns the truth of who he is, you know, and that, that moment when Beric says to him, it's not our purpose to understand. No, and I, I think we all think of endings as some kind of deliverance, especially in this show. And one of the things that they've really set this world up for right now is that they're living in hell. Like a lot of these, the, the kingdoms are basically abandoned or in like there's some sort of power vacuum happening. You've got Cersei in the south. You've got the Night King in the north. There's inner infighting between the people who are still standing against either one of those factions. And, you know, you see with these battles and I'm sure what we'll see in the battles of this season is that this is kind of like, they're not trying to save some like elvish fantasy land here like this is like really like so raw and like you might want just to be like take me out of this quote melisandre right there's only one hell princess the one we live in now <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's very true whether or not you worship relor you know that's that's the reality for all of them and that's i think why the the, the danny storyline is particularly interesting heading into the final season and the idea of breaking the wheel and whether she will honor that. Whether she will right. seek to honor that, uh, the question of whether they're able to follow through on it is obviously particularly interesting. But what is even in her heart at this point? You know, and when she finds out that John is the heir to the Iron Throne, and that you know, yes, also that she's fucking her nephew, but right. that he's the heir to the Iron Throne, it's like it's not, fine. Like, Targaryen's not the love incest. The weirdest thing that's happened on this show. I think it would be <laughs> it's totally normal. Fine if they she could. grew up thinking she was going to marry her brother. She will be right. fine with that yeah. part of it. She's just going to view him as a threat to her power. That will be the tough part. Does she want democracy? Is the Mad Queen going to take over? I mean, she's burned them all. Is very much in Danny's identity and DNA at this point, too. Now a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of Binge Bone is brought to you by Audible. With the largest selection of audiobooks oh! on the planet, Audible offers an unbeatable range of bestsellers, uh. motivation, yes, Mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. As a member, you can choose three titles every month. One audiobook and two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you keep forever. Oh! Even if you cancel. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash binge or text binge to... 500 500 and listen for a change that's audible.com slash binge or text binge to 500 today's binge road is also brought to you by robin hood robin hood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks etfs options and cryptos, cryptos! all commission free while other brokerage charge up to ten dollars for every trade Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers like me and experts alike like Mallory Rubin. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock Collections such as 100 Most Popular 
You can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Binge Mode Game of Thrones a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at bingemode.robinhood.com. And now back to our Talk the Thrones Live from Austin, Texas. Jason, we've been talking about these names come up. Who's a character that you feel like a, like a real sense of attachment to that maybe you're still like grappling <laughs> with? Like, how's it going to end for this person? I mean, John is the easy one. Um, you know, Davos also, just because... Yeah. I saw you looking at a big heart. A big heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> shouts to Davos's uh, wife and family who... He has not visited or even spoken Does about. not remember he has a wife, but uh, is happy to tell you how fermented crab will help yes. you sustain a massive erection. <laughs> happy to tell you. If you um, go the over-under for when Mal is going to mention uh, so, something inappropriate like that. I have waited patiently. Actually, Sansa, I think, is a good one. Sansa is one, like, when we binged it, um, initial reaction on Sansa as the season was unfolding, it's like, the Battle of the Bastards moment when she calls in the Knights of the Vale. It's like, well, why didn't she tell John? Like, all this stuff. Um, and then you watch it back to back to back to back, and you realize this is a character who has never had security since she left Winterfell, ever. She's always been beholden to other people, had no agency in her life, was always dependent on, you know, Tyrion, uh, the Hound, other people to protect her. And then finally, after... Really, the worst things have happened to her. John comes back and is like, uh, I don't know if I want to take back Winterfell. Like, I'm just going to walk the earth now. Um, so <laughs> the, the fact that she didn't tell him made a lot more sense because she is just a person who's going to take control of her own life at this point. It's like, I, I'm going to depend on me for my security. Um, and I just really, I, I empathize with that a lot. I want you to go first while, while, while I think. Uh, so I think choices. Jamie. Yeah, I think Jamie. I think J- mm. Jamie feels like probably the most tragic figure in the... You just live his jackets. You're still rooting for Jamie and Cersei to work it out. <laughs> I think it's... Look, <laughs> you're really invested in that There's love story. There's still a lot of runway for those kids, man. Like, <laughs> we... <laughs> wilder things have happened, you know? Uh, he just... I, I find the one of the things I love about this show is the way that they will make someone look and feel like an archetypal character and then just kind of chip away at their insides yeah. for seasons and seasons. And I, I just always loved that Prince Valiant was this broken man in love with someone he couldn't have who created this monster and essentially was robbed of the one thing he seemed halfway decent at right. doing, which was fighting. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's like a stretch of the imagination to, to say I think he's... His odds are maybe worse than 50-50 this season. Oh, he's, that's... Yeah. I mean, like, you can just see, like, even in the trailer, it doesn't seem like he's in a good spot. So uh, there's something about the, his, his, his arc that really I find very, very sad. And, and like, the way that, that he was played, I thought was really, really effective. I think he was, he, like, was kind of like the cool Indiana Jones of this series, and he's a monster. I, I, I honestly think that he's one of the most... Uh, that's one of the most unbelievable creations in fiction, Jamie Lannister. Because episode one... <laughs> 
he, he fucks a, his sister yeah. and throws a child out of a window. <laughs> I'm up here on stage in front of like a bunch of people and being then, like, I love that guy. And then, by season th- and then by season three, you're like, am I rooting for this guy? <laughs> to be fair, Holy in the same shit. first episode, he also brought multiple whores to Tyrion at once, and you can tell that he has a generous spirit. Yeah, <laughs> it's all there from the beginning. If he, you know, yeah, absolutely. All right, Mal, who, who are you kind of, I mean. So, I just, I love them all. I'm, I really would like to get some meaningful time with Ghost in season eight. I swear that's not a bit. Like, I need to see Ghost in the show again, and I need Ghost to be okay. Um, as stated previously, I'm extremely attached to John and am concerned about his future. Sansa, Jamie would be high on my list as well. I can't pick. I, Arya and Bran? Just all the Game of Thrones characters. <laughs> yeah, I just like... Patrick, Bran? <laughs> really rooting for Rhaegal? Um, I am invested in how the show concludes Arya's arc. Mm. Because I struggled with some of the direction there in season seven, and I'm really eager to see how it comes together. In terms of what? How'd you struggle? Her, uh, Arya and Sansa being fake mad at each other or whatever that was about real mad with the, like the note yeah. in the bag and stuff right. like that yeah it was just very strange and weird Arya is like one of the most important characters in fiction to me and I think to a lot of women it's this like exciting idea of you know the, the moment when she when she says to Tywin at Harrenhal like girls are stupid I, all girls are most girls are idiots you know and when she says to Ned on the steps the, the red keep and the tower in the hand you know that's not me when he's describing this traditional existence I think a lot like that's just very aspirational and I just really hope they bring that home and I think of Arya and Bran and Tyrion and Jon as sort of like part of this totality representative of the cripples bastards and broken things idea that's so central to the heart of the show the characters who aren't supposed to be the ones in power, who never were, or at least in John's case, who didn't know they were supposed to be. And how can they be? What does that look like to them? You know, when John finds out who he is, most people in the world, if you found out that you were not only the heir to your kingdom, but potentially the prophesized last hero prince that was promised, you'd be like, that's fucking dope. I'm awesome, right? And it's going to make John feel like shit. Yeah. And I think that there are versions of that for each character. You know, I, I, Bran, in many ways, in the books, I think feels like the most important character because right. he's so core to the, the heart of the mythology, the really fantastical elements of the story. But at what point does that swing to him completely falling out of touch with his humanity? Well, I think that's also an issue for the show itself. Yeah. It's like, how do you communicate a character like Bran and what Bran's experience is and Bran's importance to the story and still make it compelling television? Because it's a lot of internal stuff. It's a lot of like interior dreamscape vision quest stuff. And, and I think that there are some people out there who are like, I, I can't quite wrap my hands around what, what's happening with Bran to say nothing of how huge he might be this season. Yeah, well, if the uh, the betting markets are any indicator, he, I, he may be very, very huge. Yeah, I think that's like... You guys into some Game of Thrones betting markets? You this is some, a... Some betting markets talk? <laughs> this is something we talked about at, in binge mode a lot. Is this the kind of tragedy of like pushing Bran to the periphery of the story in a way that felt like, you know, maybe... Like, as... There wasn't like a, a level of comfort with the fantasy element that he um, embodies. 
Um, and like Mal said, he's tremendously important to the story, not just structurally, because he allows us to understand things that happened thousands of years ago and things that are going on contemporaneously in other parts of the world, but because he is that fantasy character, like the the young broken boy who discovers that he has a gift. Like that is just a, that is a fantasy staple. I think regularly of the conversation between Bran and Maester Lewin, when Maester Lewin, very representative of a lot of how, the mindset that we would see from a lot of characters who sort of refused to accept that magic was back in the world. And you're kind of shocked because yeah. he's supposed to be highly learned, open-minded, open heart too. And he just tells Bran, Maybe this was a thing once, but it isn't anymore. And in an effort to simultaneously clarify that to Bran, wrongly, of course, ultimately, and to comfort him, he says basically, you know, what boy wouldn't grow up like wanting to think that he was special? And that's, of course, why we all love fantasy stories, because that's true for us too. You know, who doesn't want to be special or feel special in some way. And the, the, ma- the real magic of these stories is that they make us feel that way. And so when but, we think and, and about and how- To the it, expense of the characters. Almost. Yes, yeah. but that's the thing. When we think about how this is going to end and these people that we're invested in, it's, it's like, I feel like I sound like quite insane here, but like it's actually scary because these are people who we've grown so attached to. And it's not only about like wanting them to be okay or wanting them to live. I think if you've watched Game of Thrones, if you've read Game of Thrones, you know that that's not going to happen. We're going to have to be prepared to say goodbye to a lot of people. But like, will the truth that they sought be found? You know, because in it's well, not like the purpose their character served right. turn out to be yes, like the what we thought it was. Right? It's not a it's not a story about the Iron Throne, not really. Right? It's not a story about it's about winning. the friends we made along the way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's about identity. You know, it's about who you are and it's about who the world tries to make you think you are. And can you conquer that? And can the people around you in your life give you strength? And if not, can you find it on your own? And that's a really powerful idea. And that gives people a lot of comfort and strength. And it's, it's, it's just really wonderful. I'm really sad that we only have six more episodes. So let's talk about that part. Uh, you know, Mal and Jason did this amazing act of like, scholarship with the trailer where they basically did an hour-long breakdown of a 90-second trailer. It was 90 minutes. I also watched the trailer. 90 minutes, but it could cut uh, cut down to an hour. (laughs) Um, What's what's the feeling where you're like, how do you balance letting it happen versus figuring it out before it happens? I don't have that problem because I don't don't know. I mean, (laughs) it's not like when we break... Down, it's not like we know 100% it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, but it's 70% uh, it's, though. <laughs> it, we, we should tell the story about how we predicted the, uh, the set was going up. Yeah. So, Talk Thrones is after the Thrones? Which was, one was it? Was it? After it was the After the Thrones. After the Thrones, the show we did on HBO, uh, there is a, you know, Bran has a vision of stuff happening. You see the Mad King, you see like all this wildfire, blah, blah, blah. The dragons dragons flying over. Dragons flying over. Uh, And after that episode, we broke it down. We're like, here's what's going to happen. There's wildfire still under the city that the Mad King hid. They didn't find it. Cersei's going to find it and she's going to use it for something to blow something up. Um, She did that. And and she did that. We nailed it. And then HBO was like, we got to cut that out of the... Out of the, they were too episode. close. It was like um, it was like literally like a thing where they were, that they felt were, really good. But at the, on the other hand, it's like you know, um, 
it's part of the fun of it is trying to figure out what is going to happen because you're never a hundred percent right. Very rarely. But do you get mad if you're not? I don't know. I, I kind of want to be surprised. I want to be wrong on a certain level. Yeah, I I don't find myself trying to figure out the end of season eight. Like when we were, I have no idea. I yeah, honestly can't even season tell you what seven. It is. I pitched Jason on the idea that season eight is actually going to be Mahershala Ali's dream <laughs> at the end of True Detective season three, thus connecting all of our after shows in a shared after right. show universe. It's all about purple haze. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's. Part of what makes the story special is the community around it. Yeah. And part of what makes the community special is that there is a truly obsessive nature to it for some people, but not for everybody. Like, people consume the story in different ways. I think that's evident yeah, up here sure. on the stage. For example, you didn't, uh, you don't know uh, whether it's Jilly or Gilly, and that's fine. <laughs> Right. That's also That's like a, a Philadelphia accent right. thing. In in Philadelphia, sure. you know, she would be known as Jilly, you know. Uh-huh. Let's go with that. <laughs> That's fine. And so you can have you can relate to the story. Jilly, what's up, girl? <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> you can relate to the story in any way that you choose and you can obsess over it to any degree that you think is like a valid use of your time and that's pretty cool, actually, and I think that will sustain itself forever. And the story is so rich and so dense that people will continue to discover new things about it. People will rewatch Game of Thrones forever. People will reread A Song of Ice and Fire forever. And you're always going to find something new. And so while it's like a little bit thrilling to put on the you know detective's hat and try to parse all of the information, I think especially when you go back, like you watch season seven— and you go back to the beginning now and you see how much is there. You, we're, we're rereading the series as well now and you're rereading the beginning of A Game of Thrones and every yeah. single thing you need to know about John's parentage is in the first couple of chapters. All of it right there. And like, that's really cool. So that's there from the beginning and you could try to use it to piece together the future or you can go back and appreciate it in hindsight. And those are both really fun. I think the reading aspect uh, is really important to note because you know while fans of every series will speculate about what's going to happen. The fact is, it's been nine years since a new book has come out, and there's nothing to do except speculate about what might happen. <laughs> right. So it's like, I could read something else. Right. Or... <laughs> that, that, so that's, right, in a lot awesome. of ways, is just a kind of a natural outgrowth of yeah. the fact that there is no new material out there. You kind of just have to scrub the text again to try and figure out what's like Battle of the Ice. Is that going to happen? Like Great Other? Is there an is there an ice dragon under the wall? Like you, that's just what you have to do, and I think that just carries over to the, that's to a perfect the show. segue. And I'm sure we have book readers in the audience at this point. I'm sure everybody's had a chance to catch up. Uh, Nine years. Uh, <laughs> tough look for my guy George. Well, where, where's your where's your head out for George? Like, how are you feeling about that? Uh... I'm of two minds. Uh-huh. Share them I, both. <laughs> I would love for George to publish Winds of Winter so that I could read it. That would be wonderful. Dream of Spring. Uh. That almost feels pretty greedy <laughs> at this point, honestly. Um, I'm, that's, that's a very real desire in my heart. I hope we get the, the rest of the books. Now, mostly, my predominant feeling is, like, real sadness. I... I just think he must, it must be such a deflating feeling to see somebody else finish your life's work. I feel really bad for him. 
I, I, I feel really bad for him. And I think you can, in every interview he gives, everything he says, you can sense it. It's actually, I mean, it's not, it used to be subtext. It is overt text at this point. Yeah. You know, he feels like shit about it. And that's awful. Now, that said, he has created something that has brought joy to literally millions of people in a different medium, maybe than he originally intended. But, you know, I, that then if you pan back even further to think about when he set out to create this and wanted to make something that could never be adapted, like by its definition, and then you see how, well, of course, you would create so many threads that you could never bring them back together again. And he's maintaining so many first-person narratives and unique voices. It's, it's, it would be impossible for anybody. I mean, he... It, they had to split books four and five because it was literally too big to put in one book. Like modern printing technology could not. <laughs> yes. ha- he had written a story that could not be printed physically. I was re- I was recently rewatching the scene where we we're talking about how during the siege of Storm's End, you know, they had to boil the books, the, yeah. the horse, the horse binding on the books, so that Celise could have some sustenance. And yeah. I was thinking, what a nourishing meal. Winds of winter will be if and when we ever get it, given the length. There's this thing that happens like when we do editing at our website uh, where like, you know, if a writer owes you a piece and you look at Twitter and the writer is like, like, here's my tweet about Beto. You're like, hey man, you owe me, I see you tweeting. You can, you you need to file. That's like what the world is like for George. Oh yeah. It's like George is like going on a Mets podcast and people are like, hey man. Where are the pages? George, George just wants like, to... Stop talking about the Mets. Sam, uh, Sam Darnold uh, was looking yeah, he just, so... He just wants to crunch Sam Darnold tape all day, and the world won't let him. Won't let him watch all those interceptions. Yeah. Where's Sean Fennessy? Um, how long do you think this show could have gone? Oh, man. Because I think we probably all like kind of like can derive from what we understand about like with the production. It's like incredibly physically grueling production. These people have essentially been living in Belfast in Croatia, which... That's tough. Sounds great. It's, yeah. It man, sounds a lot. Been, must there, be terrible. There is like a version of this where this becomes like ER or whatever, and they right. turn over the reins to like Cogman or Hill or something like that. And then I think you run into problems with cast members who maybe just cannot possibly keep doing this year after year after year. But as a story, you know, I think that there is an obvious difference in the last season and the feel and the really the speed of plot. Yeah, the pace was just... Unreal. How long... Let's erase seven. Let's erase the, like, we've eclipsed... Forget the books for now, because like, we obviously can't wait. But how long do you think the show could have gone on for had it not been like, okay, you know what? Eight sounds good. Let's do six mega episodes and wrap it up. Like three-ish. Three more seasons. Three, like three ten-episode seasons, I think. Yeah. I think a, a total of ten seasons seems... yeah. Reasonable. I, I will say as as much as I would like a, this particular show and this version of the story to go on forever, I am excited about the spinoffs. You know, and I think knowing that we're going to get to explore different aspects of this universe and world, and we're going to stay in the world, and there will be some sort of connective tissue to the ideas and the lore, and to learn more about this mythology that people have obsessed over for so long. That's interesting. <sighs> Ten seasons would have been fun. Yeah. I think also ten seasons, especially the way that they felt like in two, three, four. Yeah. Like that that feeling like you were getting like the like the full meal that was right. paced out in that ten se- ten episode way, which I think has sort of been not, not lost, but I, I definitely think in the last this this season coming up in the previous season, I felt like, oh man, this is almost like the Super Bowl every Sunday. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't actually feel like an arc as much well, you, as it feels like just you really understood the shaking. breath and Geography of the world when it was at that pace. It's I think of the um, 
whole Varys is a merman theory, which because oh, yeah. like he crossed I the like, sea is, is for real twice, like, and yeah. like and was just like back all of a sudden where he had left from um, in the course of an episode. I mean that in totality is an outgrowth of the fact that they just had to speed up the pace. Yeah. You know? I think in some ways it's actually only a question we'll be able to answer in hindsight when we see yeah. how season eight feels yeah. and what the pace of it and what the clip of it is. Like, does it feel like it really is just a one or two massive battles and that's it? Or are we going to have those quieter moments that I think people really cherish? You know, the battles are great when you're listing the best Game of Thrones episodes or you're listing the best Game of Thrones moments, you're naturally going to gravitate toward those moments of shock and awe yeah. and just the sheer spectacle of it when you're like, I, I actually can't believe that this is on television. Yeah. But when you think about what you love most about the story and what you cherish most and when you found yourself really falling joy. in love yeah. with, yeah. with yeah. characters, right. right. Or something like the conversation between Cersei and Robert, I think about a lot in season one. You know, that's a show invention. Yep. And it's a moment where you say to yourself, these the creators actually really understand the characters. This is amazing. And it's just two people sitting in a room sharing a sizable goblet or two of wine and talking about how it could never have worked for them. And like, that could be a CW drama, you know, that could be a Showtime show, that could be any show about anything because it's ultimately about the human condition and the best fantasy stories are always going to operate on both of those levels. What is the magic at play and what is the humanity at play? And so if we don't have time for moments like that in the final season, I think we will find ourselves saying we wish we had more time. And if we get moments like that, maybe it'll feel like it was right. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do wonder how much of it will feel like Coda. I think that in the trailer, we have a sense that I mean, we were just talking backstage about this, but I think that the trailer, for the most part, did, did actually not show us that much of the season, right? Yeah, right, I, mean, yeah, that I agree with that. That there's probably a huge element of the show this season that we have not even gotten a glimpse oh, yeah. of, which is kind of amazing to think about. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody sort of concluded that we're seeing the preparations for and maybe a little bit of aftermath and during of the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah, so we know this isn't the spoiler. It's more like speculation, I right. guess. But we we can deduce from what we know about Bill Sapochnik directing two of the episodes this season. Yeah. It's supposed to be the third and the fifth, it and sounds like. And he's the battle like. guy. And he's the, yeah, battle, the battle guy, guy. you know, hard home, etc. So it seems like the Battle of Winterfell will be episode three. And everything in that trailer, pretty much, except for obviously the Cersei shots and a couple, you know, the shots of John and Danny right. beyond the wall. Everything Tyrion in the daytime, a beach somewhere, yeah. Ground somewhere. Uh, it was almost all, it was, a, it was a trailer for the battle, really. Yeah. And I think that's really smart because it gets you hyped for something massive. You know, every, everywhere you go on the internet or you're reading about it, it's like, this is the longest battle ever filmed and, you know, modeling it off of Helm's Deep and studying two towers. And that's really cool because you can get hyped about the event and one thing, but also know that there's all of this other stuff coming in the season that you have no idea about at all. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do... I want to ask you one more question before we take some questions from the audience. Uh, I don't want to do something as silly as death predictions, <laughs> but I do kind of want to know if there's, in your mind, you have a satisfying ending. Oh. Uh, or if it's easier, we can just do death predictions. Let's do death predictions. Let's do death predictions. Yeah. Because I think that is, I, I, can't, I can't piece together the satisfying ending. Yeah, because in very, some ways, weird. I want to be upset and, and pissed at the show. And that would be in itself traditional, an in, in 
in tradition of with the, what the best of the show did. Somebody, somebody you love has to die in order for this story to really fulfill the promise that it is laid out for itself. Yeah, I, I, while I'm sitting here saying, I want John to be okay, I want Ghost yeah. to be okay, I want the people I love to be okay, I re- what I really want, truly, is for the show to like really fuck me up. Yeah. You know? Like, like, like I'm, of, I'm Liana yeah. in my bed of blood, yeah. and I'm looking at yeah. Benioff and Weiss and yeah. saying, promise me. Game of Thrones, me run me over with a bus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like what Cersei wants. kills Jamie right. with a bowling ball. Right. Like at Game of Thrones, there no, will Jamie be blood. needs to kill Cersei. Stab me in the <laughs> stomach. Fulfill the Valancourt prophecy. Yeah. Jamie needs to kill Cersei. And why will Jamie kill Cersei? I, might, I feel like I'm in chem Think, class. <laughs> maybe if Jamie sees Brienne fall in battle, that would be a real tragedy. Obviously, that would be devastating. And knowing maybe that Cersei, if she had brought her forces up, could have given them a better chance. Maybe get the hand around the neck, finally. I need Jamie to kill Cersei. Cersei can't live. She cannot live. Man, what if she does? That would, be, that would be such a bad beat for everybody involved in the show. <laughs> cannot live. Let's take another quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's binge mode is brought to you by Policy Genius. Getting life insurance can feel like assembling the world's worst jigsaw puzzle. It's confusing. Oh, man. It takes forever. Ugh. And when you're finally done, it doesn't even look cool. Awful. But if you have a mortgage, kids, or anyone who depends on your income, it's a puzzle you need to solve. And Policy Genius can help you do it. Policy Genius lets you compare quotes from top insurers to find the best policy for you. Just two minutes. When you apply online, the advisors at Policy Genius will handle all the red tape. Oh! And even negotiate your rate with the insurance company. No commission sale agents, no hidden fees. Just helpful advice and personalized service. Policy Genius also makes it easy to find the right home insurance, auto insurance, or disability insurance. They're your one-stop shop for financial protection. So if you find life insurance puzzling, head to policygenius.com. In two minutes, you can compare quotes, find the right policy, and save up to 40% doing it. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. And now back to our conversation from South by Southwest about Talk the Thrones. Do you guys have questions? Should we take some questions from the audience? Yeah. There's a microphone there. There's a microphone there. Yeah, I'll go on. Come on, guys. I'll go yeah. left, the left side first. There's enough left um, predictions about who's going to die, who's going to stand on the throne. <laughs> you want to know who's, who's uh, on the throne? All three of you. Who's going to be on the throne? <laughs> Uh, I don't think there will be a throne at the end. That's my new prediction that I reserve the right to change at any moment, uh, yeah. uh, including on all actual um, ringer properties heading yeah. into season eight. Uh, I, I, I think that breaking the wheel right. is what actually has to happen. Melt down. You melted down the swords to make the throne, melt them down again and unmake it. Now, whether that means independent kingdoms or democracy, I think, I don't know, but... Think about how Danny promised Yara that she could have dominion of the Iron Islands right. when they struck their pact. And then, you know, later and her advisors are saying, well, what if everybody well, they can ask that? Too. And they, they can ask too. Yeah. And so what if they do ask? You know, I think everybody having a, a dominion over their fiefdom. Yeah, that's a revolutionary idea. And that's kind of the promise that she has laid out for her regime. And I think it would be for her to backslide on that and be like, we're just going to do it all over again. Iron Throne pay me the taxes, I rule everything. That's interesting in its 
in and of itself, but that's like now continue the story because here's a person who um, projected themselves as having these high ideals, these revolutionary ideals who basically is, is as corrupt as everyone else. That's interesting, but like, I agree with you. It's going to be, it, Westeros is going to be completely changed. It's not going to look the way it looked. There's not going to be an Iron Throne. Again, I also reserve the right to completely change my mind. Uh, what do you think, Chris? My prediction is that Tyrion is on the throne, the master wow. politician, that John and Danny retire to Dorne and turn it into kind of like an Ibiza kind of place. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cersei and Jamie patch things up and live happily ever after. Just take another run at family, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So your prediction is everyone's just <laughs> popping out incest babies. <laughs> That's right. That's how you think Game of Thrones is going to end. When you phrase it that way. Uh, let's go to the right side here. Um, hey guys, I have a question about uh, binge mode specifically, mm-hmm. and just like from one fan on behalf of the other fans, thank you for the work you guys put into binge mode. Such a gift to the fans. And thank you. I remember the first moment I heard Jason uh, read a sex scene from George oh, R. R. Martin, and I had to stop and call one of my friends and be like, holy shit, this exists. This is amazing. <laughs> um, no, but can you just talk a little bit about the process of doing like an episode by episode? Because I always try to imagine in my head, what are you guys actually doing to make that? Well, I, I listened to a lot of George interviews, and then I put my life really high like this. No. Uh, I mean, we, we just outline a lot and read and rewatch, um, and then just write these titanic outlines that we can't actually let people know how long they are. Um, yeah, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about it together, yeah. just in general, and, and that's um, always been true, just not only in our professional relationship, but in our friendship, just as we're sincerely passionate about these stories and we talk about it a lot and in the process of talking about it a lot, realize that there are things we want to talk about more yeah. and then we have all these wonderful outlets in which we get to do that. It's just a real, it's a real gift. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that we take very seriously is that uh, a, a lot of people talk about Game yeah. of Thrones and Harry Potter and it's not like an original idea necessarily. So it's like, how can we make it original? What right. can we do that will feel fresh and new? And part of that is the passion and hopefully like the approach and right. just trying to parse really every element of it and make sure that we are a, adding to the conversation. I think that's an important point because there's a lot of really good Game of Thrones content out there um, and that had been out there for a while. So it was like, how can we make it different? We can just pour as much of ourselves into it as possible. Our point of view and the way we think about the story and also like the how uh, we feel emotionally about the characters and just being like 100% upfront and super nerdy about it in the most sincere way. I think that's a big thing too. When you're at any age, but like when you're a kid and you're falling in love with a story like this, whatever that story might be for you, you're going to have that moment where you're like, is this okay? Like, is it okay that I care about this thing that much? And it's really validating when somebody in your life, you know, I feel this way like about my dad and when he put, he built a little shelf in my bedroom when I was a kid and put all these fantasy stories on it for me. And like, I think that felt like a real gift to us being able to say out loud, I love this thing. And then having all these people say, I love it back. And just getting to share that together is like really just something we really cherish. We really felt the weight of, responsibility as people who love the story to do justice to a story that millions of other people love as well. And they're, and they're really generous too. I mean, they've been happy and like really nice enough to license out binge mode to me 
and I'll be starting Binge Mode Triple Frontier next Friday. It's a 150 episode breakdown of each moment of Triple. No, uh, I, I would listen to that. I know you for would. the record. Next question. Uh, Jason, you mentioned the willingness to translate some, you know, less educated folks into the knowledge space that you guys are there. And are you talking? About, are you talking about Chris? Uh, <laughs> yes. About Chris? Yeah, Jilly. Uh, uh, the Golden Company by. I know. I know. Uh, so I just was curious. The what evidence is there for Aria to to you know know or assume that uh, Sirio Pharrell actually died? Sirio is alive. This is Mallory's. Story. I ride hard for this. Hard. Is he jocking? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We don't see him die. If we don't see you die, I, we, we didn't Stannis see Stannis die. We didn't see Stannis die. Either. Stannis is dead. You should read up. There's a great, Riley Mackey wrote a great post on The Ringer. We're doing this daily loose ends countdown. Please read it. Please read all of them. And one of them is basically, I, I believe the headline was. These posts are really good, by the way. Yeah. If we helpful. haven't seen your corpse, are you really dead? And also, obviously, of course, sometimes we see your corpse and Black then you fish. come back to life. Yeah. So, Blackfish also didn't see him die. I wanted to see that guy's death scene. Hell yeah. He was like, I'm, I'm going to go take them on. And then, <laughs> what, he's dead? One time in Game of Thrones, they're like, they don't need to see that. Um, Thank yeah. you. I think Serio's alive. Yeah. Next question. Hello. Uh, so one, I wanted to second the, the other guy's point about um, the binge mode. I love the uh, sports and the... The Sports. professor, I'm in Nerva McGallion. I love it. Uh, so my question is, as both scholars and fans of the show, how do you think about the difference between Game of Thrones based on the novel versus Game of Thrones, a TV show? I think Andy made a point similar to this where all the deaths now were preceded by like a giant speech. So just thinking about how the teach, how the, the showrunners are treating it as a show versus when it was just based on An George's adaptation. novels. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's... It's one of the most fascinating sort of like pop culture experiments I think I've seen in the last 10 years is watching this show like lose its scaffolding in some ways. And that scaffolding it, it might have been the most important part about this show in some ways. What do you, what do you guys think? You know, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a good and complicated question. I, I personally, as a book lover, obviously, I do not believe that... Um, like I think some people think that the show lost its way when it moved beyond the books. I don't feel that way. You know, Win Winds of Winter, that that's not in the books. The, the show was well beyond the books at that point, and that is not only my favorite episode of Game of Thrones, but my favorite episode of television literally ever. I think that is a perfect hour of TV. So what does the show want? What do the books want? I mean, again, I think George sought to craft something that was, like, as big as the world that he had built, yeah. where, you know, what do the characters call? What is the world? The world doesn't have a name. You know, Bill, our, our boss Bill, thinks it takes place in the 1300s in our the world. most right? amazing not... moments in the history of our relationship with Bill Simmons is when he asked what year does Game of Thrones yeah. take place? <laughs> you know, and I, I raised that because... And we were really like, should we just be like, yeah, like the 1930s? He's like in the Vikings? <laughs> in yeah. Western Massachusetts. Around with the Vikings? Yeah. But what's the world called? You know, it's not Earth. It's the known world. And what's the importance of the idea of something that's known? Well, what's unknown? And I guess that is the, the difference that I would highlight at this point is for the show, it's increasingly about what is known and how can we condense that and focus on it and solve it. And for the books, it's increasingly about the unknown world. What haven't we seen? What might we never see? Will we ever sail west? I think it would have been wonderful if that scaffolding still could undergird these seasons. That said, I think it's less about the showrunners losing 
touch with the characters and the lore than it is, you know, to, t- to go back to George's desire to create something that could never be adapted. I think it's more the size of this story running up against the business of making a television show. Why are there six episodes and not 10? Because some contractual funny business so you don't have to re-sign the actors to like a full other season. You know what I mean? Like that's, he really did it. He created a story that's so big that you have to shuffle it around in order to adapt it. And I think it's more, I really think some of the shortcomings of, the previous season or just simply because the story's too big. It's just so, so, so big that you can't fit it in the boxes that it needs to fit in anymore. Um, not so much that uh, Benioff and Weiss don't understand Jamie like they did, you know, in season three or season two. I, I think that's really the case. So while I do take issue with, at times with certain choices they made in the later seasons, I also understand that like, you can't have every character in there. You can't have every, no, every it's plot every, twist. Every and, time we've ever gotten kind of like like frustrated with the show, yeah. it's only ever been because the show is doing some TV shit. Right. It's not because it's... David Benioff and Dan Weiss are really, really great writers. Like, they, in some ways, like, as filmmakers, did things that George could never do in terms of... They have music. They have cinematography. They have actors. They have editing they have do they're doing things with these tools that George can only like suggest by a cross cutting maybe in a narrative but you know they essentially did do some stuff where it was like then then they got over there and then we don't have to see that part and that that was i think a little bit tough because you're like i i put in a lot of time on this show yeah. like you can you can treat me like a grown up and show me everything right like that was the kind of the thing that's just my take uh next question um, question for the full, full panel here. Um, going back to theories, uh, there is a theory out there that Bran's connection to the Night King leads to John killing Bran in order right. to end the war. Yes. Do you? How feasible do you think that that scenario is? I think Increasingly it's in feasible. I think it's in play for sure. Is that wait? Was that the betting play. markets thing? I, I just think it's it's heavily in play. Reading the tea leaves and like reading all the things that. You're there. eating the weirwood paste yourself. I'm eating the weirwood paste. I'm down there in the cave, uh, seeing everything through time, and I think it's heavily in play. I like it from John's perspective. Weirdly, I really don't like it from Brand's perspective. I, <laughs> I'm increasingly accepting that this might happen. It's one of the most popular. I'd, I'd put it like in running neck and neck with is Tyrion a Targaryen is right. maybe one it's of very the popular. most popular theories at this point. Well, Tyrion's a Targaryen. That's not even a theory. They they have the same. The, I'm I I hope they're both not true for the same reason. Like, if everybody of consequence in the story is a Targaryen, then this isn't about identity in the way that we thought it was. It's just about how they needed twenty three and Me on this show, and they right. could have yeah. <laughs> fixed this in like episode three. It's like, oh, we're all related. This is great. We should just take this throne right here, right? <laughs> Quicker show. And from the Brand Night King perspective, choice, which is another like core pillar in a fantasy story. If Bran is the Night King or Bran is all the brands or Bran is the Mad King, any of the Bran is X theories, then the choices and the decisions that the characters have made don't matter as much. And I don't want that to be true because to me, the most interesting part of the story is the choices that they make. You get really into like the architect monologue from the Matrix if that happens. Yeah. 
where you're just like, oh, so good natural plug for yeah, the rewatchables. Rewatchables tomorrow. Matrix tomorrow. <laughs> uh, next question. Uh, two part question. Uh, first for Mallory, over under on Oriole losses this year. Oh, what's the Pakoda? Well, you have to set it, and then I pick the over or the under. Hundred and five. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I think that the Orioles have a, are in the running to have the worst record in baseball. I really do. Pains me to say it. So uh, sad, but so true. I think uh, of Manny Machado every day. <laughs> second question for everybody. Uh, does Tormund get the girl? <laughs> well, you, are you talking about Brian or are you talking about Sheila? The Sheila. Bear? Sheila. The claws. Of course, Brian. Uh, well... I think we no. ship Jamie. And Brianne. I ship Jamie and Brienne pretty hard. They, you know, they're they're mo- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Their moment back. in the baths was like that was incredible. All time scene. All it's time wonderful. scene. They understand each other in a really intimate and important way. Um, and I'd love to see them together. And Tormund and Brienne, like you know, Tormund, does he make it out of episode two or three? And look. I think it's going to be uh, tough unlikely. times. There's going to yeah. be a very small window where Tormund and Brienne can get it in. And it's, <laughs> it's going to have to be that very small, like, it's going to be like five the, and a half to eight scene minute of the season. Wi- yeah, they're just, it's, it's going to have to be in that five and a half to eight minute window. What's where- the window for Jamie and Brienne? The only couple I ship harder than Jamie Brand at this point is me and Jora. So <laughs> I'm really invested in Small this. window there as well. <sighs> Let's do the next question. I, uh, so I'm recently exposed to Game of Thrones. I just finished it like last month. Oh, wow. um, man. Well, I, show I, I hope you were not listening to anything that we have been saying here. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's been surprising. Um, but I guess, uh, one thing I struggled with when watching the show was the Night King seemed like really flat to me. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, do you all have any ideas about maybe a motive or an arc? I mean, he commands a lot of attention and I kind of just pushed him to the side. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, his his if he has an animating principle or animating philosophy, we're not really sure what it is. He was, we know he's the children of the forest created him in order to try and check the expansion of mankind. But what does he want beyond that? Um, I think is a real hole in the story that I hope that they fill in. Yeah, like what what's the Night King's platform? Like what is his? Yeah, what's his thing? <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you stand for, man? What do you stand for? Is real estate? <laughs> Real estate guy. Just a real estate guy. Yeah. Green New Deal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, the the question not only of the Night King, but all what do the White Walkers want? Right. It's we don't know. Still to this point, you know, babies. They just want to be loved, hurt. guys. They just want to be loved. I think that's why we're seeing so much of the Winterfell Crips in the marketing right. for season eight. You know, we've we got a lot of shots in the Crips in the main trailer we had, and in the first thematic trailer was set in the Crips. Is that strictly thematic in terms of the the idea of John's identity? Probably. I'm sure it plays that way regardless. But what is in the Crips? Are they there to free There's the great there. other? The obviously the idea that the Night King is a Stark is well supported. So finding out what he wants and who he's after, you know, we haven't seen him. He's faced John multiple times. John's looked into his eyes. Not sure if you've heard. And he hasn't killed him. He had plenty of chances to kill John and has not done it. Why? Does he need John and Danny's baby? Does he need John? Is he going to turn John into the Night King? I think all of those things are in play, but that has to be the predominant 
one of the predominant thrusts of season eight. Also, we should say we did not see the Night King in the trailer. He is not right. in the trailer. And you would think that the Battle of Winterfell, when the Night King is now on his reanimated dragon steed, that he's going to be a prominent right. player. Last, the very, very last shot of the trailer proper is a, is a horse hoof. And right. it, that's can't be him. You lead with the dragon, not yeah. the horse. So. Last question, really quick. Uh, yeah. So this one's from Mallory. Uh, what is the uh, game, I guess the character-wise Game of Thrones equivalent of uh, Joe Flacco and, uh, <laughs> and Lamar Jackson? Classic question. Thank you. That's great. Uh, s- s- changing the actors for Dario. That's Flacco? Well, he said Flacco and Lamar. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, so yeah. you start with first Dario. Rickon is Flacco. <laughs> Never did the three cone. <laughs> Uh, so Lamar is obviously the, the prince that was promised. So he's John. He's Azor High. Born <laughs> <laughs> amid smoke and salt. Um, thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching over the years. We're really excited to do this show. For Jason, for Mallory, I'm Chris. Thank you, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you. Well, friends, this isn't about noble houses. This is about the living podcasters and the dead. Like Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer wow, and researcher. Fucking dark. Fuckin dark. <laughs> Don't worry, we can resurrect them. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to resume this journey, and that you'll join us again next week for more Season 8 Preview Talk. Until then, remember, no one walks away from us. Mallory, I was just caressing my crossbow, ass ripper. And I was wondering, do you remember all the wonderful times we spent together here in this room? Urgently recording binge mode Game of Thrones? Mm, Yes.